Welcome to your podcast, Leadership is Tricky, where we'll tackle various topics, challenges, and experiences as it relates to your investment in leadership. So let's design success together. Now your hosts. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Leadership is Tricky. I am here with uh, Stephen. How are you doing, Stephen? Always good. How are you doing, man? I am okay. It is extremely hot here in Germany. I'm talking extremely hot. And uh, here in Europe, we don't do air conditioning, so it's just sticky. What about there in San Antonio? I got you beat. If I had to put it in Celsius, we're pushing 40. In wow. uh, Fahrenheit, that's about 105. So for those out there that either look at it both ways, uh, it's summer in San Antonio, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but I bet you it's like 20 degrees in your house. No, uh, I actually like it warmer. I guess living in Germany kind of thickened my blood a little bit. So we try and keep it higher, but that's just because I'm cheap too. I don't like to pay those big power, <laughs> power bills. <laughs> right, I got it. So uh, so for everyone uh, joining us and uh, repeat listeners, welcome back. And for all you that have uh, you know just tuned in for the first time, welcome to Leadership is Tricky. We have a great guest today. Uh, someone who uh, I, I've spent a lot of time with over the last few years. We've gotten to know each other. Uh, so Uli, uh, welcome. Uh, how are you doing? Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be with you on Leadership is Tricky. Um, it's also here in my area hot. Um, and, you, and you know, in Germany, we are not used to that. So it's sweating, but it's, yeah, it's getting cooler now. Yeah, I don't know about that. I've taken two showers today and I'm still hot. <laughs> i don't see any beads on your forehead so you're, oh, you're it's the light it's the light i'm really sweating like patrick ewing right now you're glistening right <laughs> look like a glazed donut all right so um great so uli you know I, i've been on your podcast digital pacemaker mm. um you know we've done some things together uh you know with keynote addresses at your at your company with your company's vodafone um, and we've, you know, went to the OMR together where you did a masterclass in cybersecurity. Um, but what I want to do is I want to start at the beginning. I want you to let everyone know who you are and then, you know, where did you come from? How did you grow up and how did you get into technology? Well, that's a really great question. You know, I grew up in Nidau. That's a small, very, very small village um, close to Dürren, where I'm living now, right? Um, and, you know, I had I had a really good um, childhood because my my parents gave me a lot of, let's say, optimism. Um, and, you know, for me, the glass is always half full, right? My wife hates me for that because especially when you are always having a half glass full, you always see the opportunity. And, uh, you know, at sometimes you need to step back and also appreciate that not everybody sees that as positive as I myself. Um, in that in that small city where, where I grew up, right, um, we had also a kinder carnival. Um, this is a um, very special thing in our region, right? We are celebrating carnival where you, co where you wear costumes and all kinds of things. And I had the pleasure to be at the kinder carnival club, right? And I did all the, let's say, career steps you can do. I, I started really in, in beginning to talk speeches um, when I was six, right? I had the pleasure to be there on stage with 400, 500 people and talk about funny things. So, so a comedian. And we had also at that time already a coach, right? Which was really great. And it ended in the carnival sprints, right? So be that that's the, the highest you can achieve, right? Um, really, really great experience. Um, so I ticked that, ticked that box. Um, I started then uh, going into, after finishing all my school stuff, right? I started my first job. And my first job, right, that was in a nuclear research center, closed in Jülich, right? Everybody gets a bit scared. No, I'm, I'm not doing anything on nuclear research. But my first big task was because this institute purchased two different machines, one from ABB, which is the um, the pure state, which is, I would say, you, you can cool down up to four Kelvin, right? And you can achieve, let's say, a magnetic field of five Tesla with this machine. Great stuff. 10 million Deutschmarks, a lot of money. And then you have from the, from the famous company Siemens, the other things, which is, which, and you know, which costs as, as well 10 million, but the important thing is both together didn't work, 
right? So the <laughs> the noise, the noise of the signal, because we look for new, um, let's say, magnetic um, ferromagnetic synthon layers and looking for new storage capacities. So that was the beginning for my IT career, right? So really looking at at this kind of, let's say, research, looking at new storage components. And uh, my task was to get this machine up and running. Um, and after half a year, it, it really went and we get probes from the US, from Russia, from China, from everywhere in the world, and look for really new magnetic sinks. Um, and you know, after after a while, I thought, okay, the Nobel Prize will be not the right thing for me. I need to move on. So I I I, I pass from the let's say acad academic thing to the to the industry, and I started my next step in the career, which was for heading for for Focus Microcomputer, which was a IBM compatible computer producer at that at that stage, right? And the and we started there to produce our own PCs, and I was the head of manufacturing, so the plant manager. And we produce a lot of 100,000 PCs every year for, for Germany, right? Which was very interesting. Um, and after, after a while, I changed then to more on the B2B side. Um, I, I changed to um, General Electrics <laughs> and was more accountable for uh, Six Sigma um, stuff and deployment. So I was a quality leader in GE Capital, first for Germany, then for Europe, right? Deploying Six Sigma across the company. And that was really interesting time because that was in the time where Jack Welch announced that he will hand over to a successor, right? And at that stage, Six Sigma was a real, I would say, career booster, right? Because in GE, everybody um, needs to get trained on Six Sigma, right? And if you are not trained also as the executive side, right, you your career will not be that good when you are when you're not certified. Hey, so Uli, I, can I, I can I interject real quick? Can I ask you a question? So when you became the plant manager, how, like when was this and how old were you at that time? Well, I was pretty young. I was 24, <laughs> to be very honest, so pretty wow. young. Um, and I was accountable for a production for six production plans and about, yeah, I would say 2,000 employees, right, wow. at, that, right. at that stage. And that was really, you know, at this stage, no leadership training, no clue how to, how to lead in such kind of situation. And I would say at that stage, all this kind of leadership education was at the beginning, right? So there was not, there were these normal fairs and where you can go and and this kind of congresses where you can get some best practices, but there was no really straightforward education, to be very honest. So I, I'd like to stay there for a little while because I find that sure. extremely interesting, right? So you have six plants, you have 2000 employees, you have zero leadership training, you're 24 years old. Right. So where did you fail? Right. Because I know there had to have been some failure there. Absolutely. And then, you know, what did you take away? What did you take away from that moment in time that, you, that you're using now? Uh, I failed a lot. Right. Um, because um, that was the first thing. When, you know, that was like a gold rush. Right. We, we need as a company to be successful when the production plans produce as much as they can PCs and failure free, right? And we we imported them from from Taiwan. So all the equipment um, came to Germany and we need to assemble them. Um, and there were, I would say, two, two main plans. One which was just with students because Aachen in that, in that area was a student um, let's say city where you have a lot of students um, and they produce a lot of topics um, and they they looked for that they can produce as much PC as they can and they they were very used to go come to night shifts right and then they produce this kind of PCs and they earn a lot of money because when they produce in the night 25 30 PCs they I would say they had their monthly salary in right um, now, um, when when we acquired and when we hire new students, right? Everybody uh, wants to be at, at this kind of level, 
And we need to train this kind of people and also get them really fit to produce not just PC, also for high quality. And we had a good incentive plan at that stage, right? Um, and it completely busted. Um, and I can tell you why. <laughs> um, because uh, we thought we had a good plan, right? And we had a solid, uh, let's say, income stream for our students and also for our employees. But it turned out that the quality we we purchased right from Taiwan was not that great as we expected. So we had a really, really misling. And uh, I, I, I remember that like yesterday, right? Sitting every evening, every morning, every um, afternoon with, with the people together and explain why we are in that kind of situation. And that was telling bloody hard the truth, right? And getting also bashed, right? because people want to earn money and with the quality we got there, they couldn't earn money, right? And, you know, I was, I was, I was the only one starting talking to them and also kind of being the representative to them. Um, and what I learned in that, in that time is, number one, if you are in a tricky situation, tell from day one the bloody truth, <laughs> right? Um, and try to get them really to understand why we are why we are in that situation, and also get them buying in into how we recover and how we get out of that trap. Yeah, because I couldn't imagine being a student, right? You have this this idea that you're going into this this business, this industry that's so great. I'm going to make all this money, and then turn around and say, yeah, it's not going to happen, right? So. You, you, so you're the dream crusher at, at that moment at 24 yeah. years old. It's all on your shoulders. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> now I wanted to stay there because I I think we had glossed over the, the timing, right? Because yeah. you went from, you know, coming out of school and then now you're, you know, in charge of 2000 people, um, you know, with, with a stop in between. But um, I find that interesting at, you know, 24, having that type of responsibility. So um, yeah, cool. Uh, Steve, did you want to did you want to jump in? Did you yeah. have any ideas or thoughts? Um, so Uli and I, I'm trying to come with with this with because uh, you talk a lot about like the production and hitting numbers and making money. Like a lot of people are motivated by those things. Obviously, I mean that's what makes the world go round, puts roofs over our heads, pays yeah. for food to keep our families safe, and all that good stuff. Um, 24 years old, have you know responsibility for 2,000, but let's probably be honest, you probably had more or less like a, a senior level leadership team or some kind of middle management team that you had daily interactions with. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about building relationships at 24 years old with potentially folks that were maybe your age or older, maybe knew more about the business than you did at the time. And then as you built the relationships, how did you drive the why? You talked about it earlier, hitting the mark. Here's the problem we're trying to solve, bringing everybody in. Um, so relationships and then giving everybody that direction. Like this is what we need to achieve. And how did you instill that motivation in everybody? Yeah, a very good question, Steve. Um, you know, um, most of the people which are in my leadership team at that stage were older, of course right and longer with the business um and um I, I know that i know that by heart uh, when we when we started that journey right um and the production lines uh, most of the people couldn't imagine that we can really turn this into business and to drive this kind of volume at that stage and it was a lucky incident to be very honest right because before we started our own production we we got the PCs from Schneider, which was also a PC manufacturer. And they said, before the Christmas business started, we will not deliver any PCs for Christmas. And that was for the business itself, like, oh my goodness, we are out of business because without PCs <laughs> in the Christmas business, and that was really Christmas business, right? And Black Fridays at that, at that stage were not existing. so. And then we, we started really the journey to purchase this kind of components and build our own PC line, which we produced there. And um, that was a big, a big thing because that was for the people, the sign we have, we have a strategy which going forward, right? And which survived the business, that's number one. Number two is 
it has also something like a pioneers, right? Because we need now to shift into a new kind of ways of working. And of course, um, we, we need to make sure that this kind of production plans we are building up and also the, the way how we are working starts really working. And um, I, I know, especially if we look to my, my team leads and my uh, abteilungsleiter, so department manager at that stage, a lot of people were scary, right? To say, um, are we really able to do that? Can we really crack that? Can we, can we really make that happen? And so we start, and I started to, to, to talk to them and say, well, Let's, let's imagine when we, when we can achieve that, what does it mean going forward for our business and also for you as a person, for your earnings and all kinds of things. Um, and then we are starting really to pilot things. And we also made very clear when we fail, how we can improve on that and start in improving the processes and all kinds of things. And this was, um, I would say, we need really to evolve processes every day to get really to a constant flow. Um, and we had also some people also after, after we started really, and we got really successful on that, uh, that they start still asking questions, why is that necessary? Why we need to do that? And this kind of constant talking. And I, I know that there were three um, department manager, they were key, right? And um, I built the connection to them very fast. I gave them a lot of freedom. We had our daily sessions in the morning and also in the late afternoon to reflect what happened during during that day. And with this kind of, I would say, network, this was a small network, but with this kind of network, the trust starts to improve. What I hear you say, and I was trying to I want to pull out the goodness of what you were doing, because to me, you were already leaning forward to a lot of the more trendy things that you hear in leadership today. You know, you're being aspirational, giving people these moonshots of we're going to scale production and we're going to hit this number and we're all going to do it together. Yeah. And if we don't make it, we're still going to do a, a continual process improvement opportunity here through Lean Six Sigma, which I think was also a, a star aligning moment for you. Yeah. Because it teaches a lot of that, you know, constant look at the process, looking for ways of leaning it out, finding the waste, you know, becoming more, you know, process uh, you know, oriented and, and making sure it was repeatable and giving you good results and minimizing yeah. defects. But then you found your change agents, it sounded like you had three or four people that were all about it. You gave them latitude, maybe a little bit more uh, impetus to fail as well and take a little bit of you know, I would say growth opportunity and, and put yeah. themselves out there with their people. Um, and I love my final point here is I think I love the morning and afternoon conversations that you had. So over communicating as all of this change was going on. Uh, good on you. I, again, I'm sure there were lots of failures and learning opportunities, but at least these things from a structure perspective you were doing. And I think that that probably proved valuable for you know, the 2000 folks in the six facilities. Yeah. And I wanted to jump in there too, because one of the things that I heard that I loved, right, is the space for reflection and the space to celebrate failure, right? Um, and to see how we can improve over time. I know you touched on the continuous improvement piece, but really that reflection space is, you know, especially in a leadership role, when you can bring people in and reflect together, right? Then it's, you know, you kind of disarm people because you're in it with them. And, and, and I find that uh, to be great. Yeah, and especially this kind of relation is also very important when you feel your own a bit weak, right? There are also moments in your life where you think, is this really true what we are doing here? Does this make sense? And when you have really strong relation with this kind of people, which inject again, let's say the positive and also the energy that this makes sense, that gives you also a lot of confidence back, right? So... Um, and, and, and I found that very, very um, important in that phase that you have also alliances when you self feel not great to continue, right? right? Yeah, so if we fast forward through the Lean Six Sigma phase of, mm. you know, of everything, because I remember going through that <laughs> phase, right? It was like the early 2000s, 
um, you know, everything was Lean Six Sigma. We're going to do yellow belts and black belt projects. And I remember going through a black belt project, which really didn't solve anything. But if you are a Lean Six Sigma fan out there listening, I'm not poo-pooing your 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 yes, better mousetrap. <laughs> oh, we went from Six Sigma to like knowledge management and all these other buzzwords, right? That ultimately it's all the same thing. It's process improvement. It's finding greater efficiencies, right? It's just the industry latched on and we had to pay, pay for more expensive certifications. But if we fast forward to where you are now, right? So now you're the CIO of Vodafone for all of Europe. Um, and I know that you, I know that it splits somehow. You can explain that to us. But yeah. um, so now that you're the CIO, right? And I know that you have a vision, right? You took us... You took your company through COVID and, you know, you're dealing with the modern day problem sets that, that are out there. I just want to hear from you of like, how has your experience been as a CIO? And then what have been the the hardest leadership challenges that you've had in that role? And then we can kind of pull the string on how you're working through those. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um, if you look to the role of a CIO, um, you have to carry at least four to five phases, right? You need to be the one who is really top on, on operations. You need to be the one who is top on technology because especially to foster also new technologies and utilize that into the business. You need to be um, the one who is driving efficiencies, right? So that means it's not just about technology, but it's also how you build your own efficiency around that. And, num and, number, and number four is really because innovation means also that you are part of the business. So it's not here is IT, here is business. It's essential and it's integrated. And so also my task is also to, to generate growth, let's say, possibilities and and help the business to grow with technology um, now having said that um, there is also a fifth phase into that and that's driving diversity so that means really having this kind of let's say not just on gender diversity but also to make sure that everybody listen also to the quiet ones right because normally ten the tendency is that you always listen to the to the ones who are talking pretty loud and pretty lot, right? But the ones who are silent, that are the that are your diamonds, right? Because they have the ideas, they have the skills. And um, for me, it's always important to give them a voice, right? To give them space and give them also the room um, to talk about. Um, now, if you are in that kind of five phases, it's it's like that, right? Your 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 day is really in five different areas always, um, and especially we talked a bit about cybersecurity. So that means as the digital society is growing up more and more, um, and more and more digital devices coming up, there is also criminal interest around that, and we need to make sure that especially to drive the digital society and give them sovereignty that our cybersecurity and everything what we can do around that is at the highest standard we can achieve. Um, and that's, I would say, a journey for itself and, and a podcast, I would say, right? right? <laughs> because that's a, there, there is a lot of stuff ongoing. Um, but it's for me, it's a constant way of, let's say, optimizing the existing landscape and also moving towards let's say an open digital architecture, which helps you to inject even more innovation into your ecosystem. And that's, uh, I would say an interesting, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say dilemma, it's an interesting opportunity because you need always to balance this kind of, and you have always to look at the different perspective in your team, in the organization, which drives also, let's say the degree of your capability you can achieve. Okay, yeah, so really, okay, uh, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, so, so you talked about this future state, hmm. talked about the difference, let's say, stakeholders within the organization, not only in the IT organization, but with the business and other entities yeah. that you provide value to. I, I think what you're saying is, you know, IT is becoming part of the business if it hasn't already. How do you communicate your vision clearly to those different stakeholders and get them to Let's say not get that, but influence them to kind of understand the value proposition that you're bringing to them. 
that's um, first of all, um, you need to, uh, to take out the tech stuff in your communication to them, right? Because um, what is always difficult, you know, as a tech guy, you are very in love with all the technology, right? And um, and my, my best test is always my wife, right? When I talk about <laughs> 5, G, 5, 5G, right? Then she say, come on, so what? Yeah, it's nice that you have lower latency, but what does it bring to me? And that's exactly, I think as a CIO, you, you, you need to really talk the business language, right? And translate that into your forks and vice versa, right? Um, um, you you cannot you cannot over communicate right and you need to understand what is the pain point of your business they try to solve right um, in the past and we are also part of that of that of that culture right in the past we trained the business give us your requirement and then we translate it into IT and then we bring it into IT this 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 takes too long right this takes really too long um, and therefore. This kind of open communication, this kind of transparency, and get them into the communication. When I look to my enterprise colleague, right, which sits with me in the executive committee, uh, I need to understand how he wants to drive his business. So, what is, and if you look at his portfolio, most of his portfolio is IT stuff, right? It's cybersecurity, it's cloud, it's, it's Microsoft services, so unified communication. I need to understand that and translate it into what does it mean for us and also vice versa, um, what kind of capabilities I can provide him to grow his business. And the same happened on the CBU side or on the consumer side and also on the finance side. Um, one of the big stakeholders always finance, right? Um, always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are, financing, <laughs> they are financing your projects, right? But also they are looking always for company efficiencies. So that means how we can gain more, let's say, um, um, benefits when we save something and shift something to the, to the, to the right, right? And, and therefore, you need to talk this kind of different languages um, and then translate it also to your teams. Um, the teams has to understand what is the core of the business and connect pretty good uh, with them. Um, and it starts really flowing. Yeah, so I think that I know you explained the, the, the horizontal discussion with you and your counterparts, right? CIO, COO, CFO, communication right across those those different business uh, units. Now down and in, right? So I always find that to be the, the the hardest is explaining the strategy, how it aligns to the business, and then talking across generational uh, boundaries, right? Especially now, um, you know, the the younger workforce is entering, you know, our realm, and we're becoming the older guys, right? So how how, how are you navigating talking down and in within your business unit to ensure that they're all aligned to that vision? Um, we shifted a bit, let's say, the organizational setup along the, let's say, the flow we are we are generating. So we're looking to customer flows, right? So if you look to the CBU, so consumer business, we are talking about that kind of flow. So people who are doing IT deliveries and services are within that in that flow. That gives already the perspective why why we are doing that. That's number one. Number two, and that's that's a very important thing. And that's, uh, I learned that already in the Six Sigma side, especially with GE, right? The most important question you need in all changes, you need to answer what's in for me, what does it mean for me, for me personally, right? If, if you look to the big strategies, you need to start the communication and talk to the people, what does it mean for them in the short term and the mid term and the long term and give them also the perspective how they can contribute to that. As long as you cannot translate your strategy to really the teams and the people, your strategy will not fly. Right. And, and that's, I, I, I would say that's, that's always also when you see all fancy slides, right? If you cannot answer that simple question, what's in for me in that journey, then you're change will be a hard change because people will not even not buy in. Yeah, so I have a thought provoking question for you. Here. Sure. Um, one of the four or five things you said that you have to do as a CIO, I didn't hear explicitly, but I'm sure it's built into one of them is the talent management or kind of skill, the, the, the training 
development, like all of the professional things that you're trying to do with your workforce as well. If I heard, you know, my CIO talking to me about the future and what's in it for me, it could involve upskilling to a new stack and new technology that I have to learn that I've, you know, I have to abandon and have loss of for the last 10 or 20 years of something that I became an expert on, or it's a completely new system that I, you know, have to use as a user or whatever it is. Um, talk a little bit about the talent management aspect of your workforce and how do you align it also to the vision that you're trying to lay out? For, we started a couple of years ago to connect everything with our purpose, right? Connect for a better future, um, which is, of course, for tech companies, something which sounds good. Connectivity is in our heritage, right? We are a telecommunications company, so therefore connection is easy. For a better future will be the more important thing, especially if you talk about Gen Z and other generations, they're always looking to make an impact also for the planet. So if you look for, for the, what does it mean for us for the future, we have three ingredients. Shaping the digital society, so giving them really that we are as a company shaping that kind of society and help them to be part of that society. Number two is inclusion. So we, we won't let anyone behind. So that means everyone should be connected and have to be connected. And number four is the impact for the planet. What I, what I see, we are running, interestingly, um, especially at, at the Exco level, we are running, uh, let's say, uh, Gen Z labs. So that means reverse <laughs> monitoring. <laughs> so that means they are running a day with us. And then- I love you. Uh, and, they, so and, they, and, they, and they are reflecting right. um, awesome. um, and asking questions, right? Because I think you, 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 we are a different generation and that's cool and it's fine, right? They are living in, a, in another generation and we need to understand each other, right? It's the same with business and IT, right? If we are not understanding each other, we cannot, we cannot let's say, attract them. And we also cannot, uh, let's say, build, the build on that kind of talent. So therefore, that's a big team. And if we look now to our strategy, right, there are so many, let's say, cool things we are doing as a company, which has a big impact on the planet, right? So using IoT sensors, right, to measuring the wetness of the forest or something like that, right? Or giving fire alarms when there are fires in, which already attract people, right? To, to being part of this kind of um, topic. And there are other topics, right? If you are really, really to the tech geeks, right? They are looking for how can I, how, how can I skill up? And we built in, um, we call it since now four years, technical career path. So that means, really fostering also not just the managerial career, but also the technical career so that they really can build up and earn as much as a, let's say, manager, right? If they are increasing their technical capability. Um, and you see a lot of shifts in the workforce towards new technologies, right? We still have, I, you know, you still have x86 technologies, that's for sure. We also have that. But we are moving more and more equipment towards the cloud. And so that means also the ways of working and the ways of how we, how we build code and how we deploy code is different. And this kind of upskilling is very important. And what we are doing in, in our digital and IT team is we are building such kind of learning days. We call them focus days. So every month they have one day for themselves. That's wow. for you. That's just that you build capabilities on yourself. And you can decide which kind. We are, we are not forcing. We are giving a big portfolio and people can select and taking the best of that to grow in that, in that day. And that 12 times a year, which is, um, I would say, a fantastic opportunity to skill up. Right, And the other thing is, besides the technical career path, you can skill up as, in this way as well. Because... Uh, I totally believe that it's not technology, it's humans, right? And right. Um, the capabilities and the knowledge, the skills we need to have to grow in that area, that's that's the essential part. I love it. Uh, Uli, I'm ready to sign up for a job. <laughs> <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> 
so so one i'm stealing that i think i'm gonna i'm gonna implement that starting tomorrow i'm gonna give everyone their focus day uh, where they can focus on themselves i love that um you know i, I i've always focused on professional development and, and making sure folks um you know focus on on their career track and trying to empower them right to make them more marketable than they came to me um, i'm big on that but i really like that here's your day go do um, and then come back and bring that back to the to the fold. So we've got about 10 more minutes. And I really wanted to touch on, um, you know, because we, we keep talking about I'm still fascinated with this, this call to work. Right. Um, I know you've talked about purpose. You talk about people wanting to serve people wanting to be in technology and they want to grow. How are you how are you managing this this call back to the workplace, um, you know, dilemma that we all find ourselves in? Um, you know, and then what resistance are you finding and or is do you even think it's resistance? You know, because I know everyone, you know, has a new way to work nowadays. So how are you dealing with it? I think there is not a one size fit all uh, solution, right? Because we, we tend to be out of the office, in the office, right? It's uh, like this this kind of dilemma we are in. And it depends a bit on your teams, right? And we're giving our managers and our team leads a lot of accountability in that, that they talk to each other within the teams and find the best way how they collaborate. They have team days in the office, they have collaboration days in the office, they have project work they are doing offline, right? They're doing from home. And at the moment, I would say in average, but you know, life is not an average, right? Life is the deviation of from extremes one to the extreme two, right? So I would say in average, we are back to three days a week in the office, especially fostering a lot of new projects and also celebrating this kind of new projects, which, which makes it easier for people to come in, right? And also to connect. Um, there are some, I would say, non-negotiables, I would say, if we have new hires um, and they need to get build up their network, we want to see them in the teams, we want to connect them with one-to-ones in with the people because when they have built a network you can work everywhere right um it doesn't matter right but especially if you are in 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 new work groups you need to understand who is sitting in front of you or beside you and um and especially if we have i would say crisis or conflict um we make that always on site, right? Because you can solve a conflict easier there. So there is, you, you don't hear me saying it's it's a must to be three days, it's a must to be four days, it's a must to be two days or something like that. It depends on the teams and on the maturity of the teams. I was going to say, you're going to give me the lawyer answer. It depends. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, it's it's all good. No, I I, I agree with that. I think what, I, I, what I've been struggling with, I don't know about you, Steve, is, for the and I've said this before is the people that I knew before we went into the virtual environment. It's easy for me to connect. It's the turnover of employees and the new people coming in that we haven't built a, you know, that relationship physically in person that I'm having a hard time connecting with, and understanding when they're starting to fall into, you know, some type of lull or you know some problem set that I just don't know them enough yet to understand what those triggers or what are those moments where they're in this state of disequilibrium, right? So um, no, no, thanks for sharing. Uh, Steve, did you have something? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, so two things. The problem that I am working through right now is my team is literally across the 48 con- contiguous, you know, American mm-hmm. states here. So having everybody come into a physical space is impossible anyways, uh, regularly mm-hmm. at least. Um, mm-hmm. We try and get around it by having, we call them cohort events where we bring people in um, on travel to a specific location and we meet, but that's, you know, resource aligned. So there's only so much money to bring so many people in at once time. So we try and make it more equitable for if you came this one, we're going to have the other people come and work around people's lives and schedules. So that's been a challenge. And then there's the second, which we're kind of dancing around, but I'll just put it out there. You know, people get a vote in this as well. And I've had a lot of people come to me and, and they tell me directly, I can make the same relationships, network the same, still get work done and not have to come into a facility at all. 
And I don't have a good response for that because I've never worked or, and or led in a totally virtual environment before. So every day is a little bit of a nuance. Um, you know, Uli, you said it, it's an it depends. And I think you have to give clear expectations. This is what I'm learning more than anything is clear expectations of, you know, what good, you know, performance slash work looks like, number one. Um, it, you know, it, it's a mission always concept, but people first. So balancing that with the demands of life and knowing that people have kids or they have maybe parents that are, you know, unable to do things and they have to, you know, tend to that or spouses or whatever's going on. Um, it is, you're more psychologist on a day than really like manager anymore. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the new world that I know that I'm living in. And uh, maybe y'all have some reflection on that as well. Yeah, um, it feels in, indeed like that. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> We're all laughing, and, it's funny. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well, and, and I think, well, Uli, and I, the word that I'm also thinking about is you talk about empathy, um, putting yourself in other people's shoes, the reverse mentoring. If we're not empathetic with our people, we're going to fail. Like we won't be able to hit the aspirational goals and milestones and production levels and that future state that you're that you're talking about. Um, that's why I really like when you talk about the reverse mentoring. It's not only the mentor to a mentee was which is typically the senior level person to a junior level person. Right. Have it the opposite way. The senior level person should go watch that junior level tact, you know, tactical person doing the day-to-day -day work. Just be a fly on the wall and watch the headaches that they work through every day and you know the relationships that they have to build across business units and things like that. That would open up a lot of eyes, I think. It would be really cool to see more senior leaders do that. I'm glad you incentivize that and actually double down on that. So that, that's great. So I think one, just to jump in real quick, um, you know, we talk about the psychologist piece of it, though, but I just think it's just being a, a good human being, yeah. right? Is it, building that meaningful connection, right? Because even if someone works for me, right, I always tell, and I tell everyone this, right? I work for you, right? I can't do anything without you. And that's for real, right? I can't get financial reports. I can get project updates. I can't get yeah. support. If I don't get support, I can't do what I do. And I'm ineffective as a leader, right? Or a manager, right? Because I, I think there's two differences, right? I, as a leader, I'm not effective. As, as a manager, I'm not effective. So I think building that connection with your people, especially through this huge pandemic that we went through, um, people have changed their entire life structure around this pandemic, Right daycares, uh, you know, uh, spouses going to work, um, you know, relationships, you know, being long distance because they've, they've grown accustomed to that or they've taken jobs that are isolated. And if you're already an introvert, how do you work through that? Extroverted people feeling isolated at home because of some telework policy. I think it's just sifting through that case by case and having high empathy, right? And trusting that people want to come to work and do good rather than people coming to work to do bad, right? Because, you know, I have, you know, senior leaders that are, you know, maybe 20, 30 years my senior, and they're stuck in this old generation of brick and mortar. I need to see you. I don't trust you, right? I need to see you to know that you're doing work. But really, in reality, you just need to see people for your own ego, right? Because those people come to work every day and you don't go talk to them. You don't even know their name. You don't know that they have kids. You don't know if they have problems. So I think it's on us that are the closest to the problem set is to have high empathy and trust people, trust that people want to come and do good. I'm sorry. I know I'm on my soapbox and I know that we're over time, but I don't care because I think this is a good conversation. Um, but now, Uli, I'll give it to you, you know, uh, uh, and what your thoughts are. But I just wanted to get that out because it was just bubbling up inside. I'm totally with you. Um, and to be honest, uh, we had also some, um, I would say, conflicting discussions on when people are in the office, I can see them, I know they are working. And I say, come on, guys, are you joking? Uh, I, I, <laughs> you can see people, of course, but you don't know if they are productive or not. 
right? right? So if you if you have unproductive people, they are in the office or out of the office. <laughs> they are everywhere when when exactly. when when you are not engaging them, right? So and we we need to think more on the outcome base. So and make clear what kind of outcome we expected. I would incentivize everyone who can fulfill this outcome within two hours and a six hour laser leisure time than having ten time ten hours to get to the same outcome. Right. Yeah, because I find it like, if we, especially when you're on an hourly rate wage, and, and I might be, people might think that I'm off on this one, but you're being paid to be available. Right? That's that's the bottom line. You're paying to be yeah. available. And when I, I present you a, a challenge, a project, a program that you need to get after, that that's the task that I want you to, to go accomplish. How you accomplish it, how quickly, how long it takes you, we can have that discussion, but that's a clear expectation piece that that's missing. So... Yeah, I, I I just find it to be just just absurd sometimes with this mentality. It's all or nothing. I need you back. The reality is, is we want people back in the office because we're paying a lot for the infrastructure. Yeah, true. Right? Because if there was no infrastructure, I can do everything from my phone. Right? I'm well, going in. It's, it's been total disruption with that model, you know, and there's capital costs back to, you know, so you're at the C-suite level, Uli, at Vodafone. I'm sure they have these conversations all the time, these beautiful buildings in all the major cities around Germany. Like, what do you do with that long term? Or is it something that you still think one day we're all going to populate those buildings again? They'll be at 100% capacity and at end. I don't know. It's a lot of unknown so that we're still trying to to work through yeah, the, the good thing is uh, we are coming already from let's say a home office um built company right so our headquarter was always built for 50 to 60 percent utilization so if okay. now everybody is coming we had always a problem right <laughs> so <laughs> <Right>. therefore <laughs> so therefore um that's I would say that's that's of course always a discussion, especially if you have the buildings now in the pandemic empty, right? Um, so therefore, there were a lot of dreams, right? Uh, do we need all this kind of buildings anymore? Um, I know I, I visited um, uh, some, um, let's say, hyperscaler in Seattle um, in April, right, last year, and and it it looks. It looks pretty empty, right? Uh, a lot of buildings, the city center, everything looks pretty empty because people, let's say, commute to different places and live now a, a different kind of lifestyle, right? Which you right. need to accept because we are in a war for talents, right? To be very honest. Um, and, and people, for, for me, it's we need to make people aware and also confident to join us and not the, and not the other way around right because at the moment especially on tech side we see so many companies beating for the same tech skills right um, and therefore you need to be flexible if if your company policy is everybody needs to be on site i think you will not win the game right and empathy plays a big big role in that and also how you can structure life balance into the into that yeah I was, i'm sorry steve if you were going to jump in no, but just, it's I, like I, double I, dutch I, right now but uh... no, it's, it's wholeheartedly agree um and i'll give you the american perspective it, there's the second and third order effect so the buildings are empty. Those service industry, you know, or uh, uh, companies that are in that city center or in that business park are not making the money that they're making. Uh, so there's a lot of this, like, what do we do? do? And a lot of it's actually being transformed into new housing, which I guess is a new opportunity. And back to what you said, really, like, let the market kind of drive that new demand right. and new, you know, you know, conversation going forward. So, but I also think it's learning, right? We always fail to learn from everything that happens to us. I know in my lifetime, we don't learn, right? Yeah. If COVID taught us anything was to, if you're in an industry pivot, if you, if you're going to stay stagnant and you're going to stay in the status quo, you're going to fail. You're going to be out of business, right? Yeah. So everyone pivoted to, to, to service driven, uh, uh, at based, um, services, right? So if you needed food, you got on your phone and it was delivered to you, right? The delivery industry was huge, right? Restaurants were still cooking, but you probably don't need all the infrastructure. You probably just need a kitchen, right? So <laughs> my thing is, it's not my problem if 
a city fails to pivot because I heard I read an article about Washington D.C. and how it was like going broke because people were com weren't commuting any longer, right? So the roads weren't being used, the tolls weren't being paid. Okay, well that's your problem. Pivot. It was too expensive anyway, right? So it's not my problem. My my thing is is like how do I take care of people? How do I take care of their families? So that way, when I do ask them for something. They feel like because of the connection we have, I'm willing to do it for you, Eric. I'm willing to do it for you, Uli or Steven, right? So uh, it, it, look, if we have senior managers out there listening, we have senior leaders out there listening, I'm going to throw it out there, pivot, change, right? Or you're going to be left behind because I'm telling you, the next gen is coming for our next because they want a different type of way to work. They want to communicate differently. They want to they innovate and we are getting in the way if we're still thinking about uh, pre-2020 models of leading. So there we um, go. Yep. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're, we're at time. Uh, Uli, I, I, I want to thank you. I, I, don't, I, I think we just scratched the surface with your story and, and your concepts. I know we, uh, uh, we, we, we kind of fast forwarded through your life and we, we got into uh, a lot of uh, uh, interesting topics through this one. So we'll have you back on. I know you and I, we, we communicate regularly, so we'll make sure that we we get this scheduled again and get you on uh, on here. So but what I'd like to do is I'll turn it over to Stephen, then we'll turn it over to you, Uli, for uh, one last question, and uh, and then we'll close. Yeah, Uli, I just want to say thank you for the time. It was refreshing to hear a senior leader have the gumption. That's a, I don't know if it translates well into Germany, but let's just say the vulnerability. Uh, you're very transparent in your leadership style. And it sounded like you've kind of had these, you know, you know, characteristics since that 24 year old taking on this huge responsibility of 2000 people and you've carried it to now. So thank you for that. I hope the listeners got a lot of good ideas to take back to their teams as well. Again, leadership is everywhere. You don't have to be a CIO to do a lot of what Uli told us today. Start small, start with a peer of yours, start with a teammate of yours, start with your family unit if you really want to. Uh, I captured a lot of good stuff today and I hope uh, we can get more people using some of the tools and techniques you talked about. All right. So Uli, it's the question we've been asking uh, everyone as we close out these podcasts this season is if you could give advice to 24-year-old Uli, right? Or a, a young Uli somewhere in Aachen, you know, walking the street, <laughs> um, you know, what would that advice be as it pertains to leadership? What would you tell them? Um, the advice I would, uh, young Uli, 24 years old, um, giving on the Aachen street is stay human, right? Because it's so important to, um, show your humanity in everything, what you are doing, because your leadership is not something you get born with, right? It's, it's your personality. Um, and it's also very important to demonstrate your people you are accountable for responsible for that you are vulnerable right you are not the superstar you are not the one who can who can solve every problems on the street and if you start with that attitude you will have people they respect you they follow you and will be very loyal to you absolutely yeah. so for those who aren't watching the video we're going to give it a we're going to give a nice little clap uh, so, so with that, uh, we're going to close. Uh, if you are a first-time listener, thank you for uh, tuning in. If you are a uh, return listener, thank you for being a part of our ecosystem and what we're trying to achieve here by sharing experiences. Uh, Uli, thank you for your time. With that, we're closing here. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, Leadership is Tricky is out.